from Kurtco Media. Coming up on the show. As soon as I was old enough to travel, yes, I started venturing out. And those were adventures to me. And they were especially adventures 50 years ago because it wasn't easy to get to. And, and many places were actually closed at that time. That's Minor Hotels founder Bill Heineke. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most extraordinary travel experiences with some of the fascinating people who make them possible. My guest today is Bill Heineke, and he is definitely one of those people who makes extraordinary travel experiences happen. He is the founder and chairman of the Minor Hotel Group, of the Minor Group in general, and a big part of that group is the more than 500 hotels and resorts that they have all over the world, 62 countries, something like that. Anantara is their leading luxury brand. They also have Elawana, they have Tivoli, and a bunch of others. The thing I find most fascinating about Bill, though, is that he grew up, he moved to Thailand when he was like 14 years old, back in the 60s, I think, and he's just stayed there. He's now a full Thai citizen. He He is grown this business of his starting out as a teenager with, you know, selling ads on the streets and, and all these things. And he's grown it into one of the most successful businesses in Southeast Asia. They have, you know, like I said, hotels all over the place, restaurants, something like 3000 restaurants. It's a great story of entrepreneurship, but then also a great story of someone who's just adopted this homeland and, and fallen in love with Thailand and Southeast Asia at large. And he really has had an interesting, I mean, I, I mentioned like it started back in the 60s and he was exploring these places before really most people were, you know, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, these, these places that now, you know, a lot of us have gone to, a lot of us hear about, but, but he was really there early and he's had some incredible adventures along the way. He's a pilot. He's a scuba diver. He races cars. He, he set some kind of like driving record from Singapore to Bangkok or something like that. I don't know. He'll, he'll talk about that. But he's a fascinating guy. And honestly, like when you're talking about Thailand, this guy knows it incredibly well. I'm really excited to have him as a guest today. Be sure to stick around after my conversation with Bill because I'm going to talk about my trip to Thailand and some of the things I would do differently, some, some good tips having just been there and having had an amazing experience, but there are some things that I would do differently next time around. If you like this episode or any other Travel That Matters episode, we'd love it if you left us a, a rating and a review. We truly appreciate all of your feedback and, and we will read every review that you guys write. So thank you for that in advance. But for now, let's hear from Minor International's Bill Heineke. Attention fellow foodies, Bruce here, and I've got something truly special to spice up your day. Are you someone who believes that cooking and baking are about more than just following a recipe? I certainly am. Isn't really more about creating moments and memories and flavors that last a lifetime? Travel That Matters is very proud to have partnered with Watkins, the brand that's been helping passionate chefs, bakers, and home cooks like you and me flavor every moment. From crafting family recipes to inventing new dishes that are uniquely you, Watkins' innovative flavoring products have been a secret chef ingredient for more than 155 years. 
Watkins takes great pride in their products being free of artificial flavors and colors, and many are also non-GMO verified, certified organic, kosher certified, gluten-free. They offer a full line of flavoring products, including pure extracts, spices, herbs, grilling seasonings, rubs, marinades, bitters, and even artificial dye-free baking sprinkles. So, if you're as excited as I am to elevate your culinary creations, look for the Watkins products at your favorite retailer and join the Watkins community on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and X by searching for Watkins1868. That's Watkins1868. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on Travel That Matters. Thank you, Lad. I'm really glad to be here. You live in Bangkok, you live in Thailand and have for many years. But one thing you always come back to the United States for, this is my understanding, you come back for Pebble Beach Car Week, all the auctions and car shows in Pebble Beach in August. Tell us a little bit about those events and why you and so many other people come back every year for those. Right. Well, if you're passionate about cars as I am and have been for most of my life, then really this week in Pebble Beach is really for, uh, they call it petrol heads. It's got everything, auctions, shows, exhibits, everybody and everything to do with automobiles is there in Monterey for that week. I'm usually there. I keep a collection of cars in Monterey. So I have a, a hangar out at the airport and have about 15 of my collector cars there. Now, so do you have a particular genre that you specialize in? Or, you know, I saw people are pre-war, some people are more contemporary. What's your thing? Sports cars of the 60s and 70s. Generally, there's a lot of Ferraris in that, a couple of Lamborghinis, Maseratis, and what have you. So uh, mostly Italian, I would say, is my preference. I, I've heard a lot about the rallies that people do through Southeast Asia or through Europe or wherever it is where, you know, a bunch of guys get together and drive these vintage cars through these kind of spectacular settings. Do you do that as well? Or are you more that you go to the Absolutely. cars? No, I, I would say that, of course, the Tuscany and Italy are some of my favorite driving spots and nothing. There's nowhere better for an Italian sports car than Italy. So we keep another collection of cars in, in Oxford, England, and that's uh, easy to move around to Europe. What really makes it so much fun is that we tend to go leave the, the, the highways and really focus on the back roads and and usually end up in uh, sort of Raleigh Chateau guest houses and one-star Michelin restaurants. And, you know, there's not, not much you can do that beats that in the world. And, you know, with a good bottle of wine, and usually we don't, we don't do any driving after that. So we tend to crash at the Raleigh Chateaus and call it a day. So let's talk about Thailand. You have lived there, I mentioned, many, many years. You've chosen to make it your, your permanent home. Why? What is it about Thailand that you love so much? Well, I came to Thailand when I was just a teenager and chose never to leave. <laughs> you know, I, I obviously go away for Pebble Beach and other things, but basically I, I'm very, very comfortable here, have been for the better part of 60 years. And I, I don't see us moving our base anytime in the near future. Thailand's just a very special place. And obviously I think most places, what makes it special is the people. The people, certainly, but what is it about that country that holds such a lure for, for travelers? It, it is definitely one of those places that everybody dreams of going or talks about going. I think really one of the, the, the most incredible things to me about Thailand is the, the religion. You know, Buddhism is the glue that really keeps the country together more so than I've seen in, in most other countries in the world. I think the, on top of that, you've got a, a unique country insofar as that, you know, it's, it still has a monarchy, you know, it's a constitutional monarchy and we have a new king at the moment that took over from his father who was revered here as the longest reigning monarch in the world. 
there's something about all of this that comes together. You know, the fact that there's basically only one language in the entire country, whether you're in the furthest point north or the furthest point south. So there's, there's just so many unifying factors that make the country just a more interesting and astonishing place to me, even today, 60 years later. And what about like, what is some of the, I don't know, the long held beliefs or cliches or something about Thailand that you think, you know, being someone who lives there are untrue or unfounded? Well, you know, I think there, there was a tendency that people tend to think that Thailand is a very cheap destination. I look at it the other way. It's a very affordable destination and you can get anything from fine dining. You know, we've got Michelin restaurants. So we've got some of the best restaurants in the world, some of the best bars in the world, some of the best hotels in the world. You know, and it's generally compared to the prices that I see around the world, very competitive uh, and if not inexpensive. And you get incredible service. My favorite place to go home to after traveling around the world is always Thailand. And you brought up the food, which is clearly one of those things that I think people go to Thailand excited to experience. I think it's one of those destinations where you can really, like you said, you can go high, you can go the street markets and have incredible food. Like, what is it about Thai food for you? That, that you think is so fascinating and, and that you love? You know, I, I think when you talk about tastes and spices, and, and I'm not necessarily referring to spicy food as such, uh, but, but the spices that go into the food, the tastes that come out of the food, it's just extraordinary. Uh, my favorite dish is a dish called Pak Thai, which combines vegetables and noodles and prawns and everything into one. And it's done in a, in a wok, fried, and, you know, with infinite soya and garlic. And it, I, my mouth waters as I'm thinking about it. Actually, having taken a cooking class at the Anantaran Golden Triangle, I, I learned to make it. And I, 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 one thing that actually I did stand out to me about Thai food is that it seems on the plate fairly simple. But you realize how complex <laughs> it is once you learn how to make one or two. It is extremely complicated. If you did the cooking classes, you probably also did the market visit. And that, that to me is equally as fascinating and exciting as cooking, you know, to see what they're, you know, what's in the fresh produce market. And if you get up early with one of our chefs and go into the market, it's an extraordinary experience. It's a once in a lifetime. Yeah, we went, Chef Gino actually took us to, to the market there. And I, I completely agree that was a highlight. And, and one of the reasons why is we, we were the only, my wife and I and my, my youngest daughter were the only tourist at the market. There were none other. And one of the things I love about going to a market like that is you're seeing things that you don't see at all back home, you know, completely, including full heads of pigs, you know, things that maybe my 11-year-old daughter wasn't so crazy about. But it, it was such a great experience. And then having Chef Gino walk us through and explain everything just you know added that that other layer so i agree that is an amazing experience the food of course is incredible and that region whether it's chiang mai or chiang rai there's a good reason why people go up there and and you know culturally the the countryside is beautiful you've got elephants you've got like there's so many things there if someone's going to thailand for the first time in your opinion like where should they go first trip First of all, I, if, if I was coming to Thailand for the first time, there's, there's three, to me, there's three main points. You've got the north, the south, and the central. Central is obviously Bangkok. North, you've got Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai, Mae Hong Son. You've got all the areas up there. In the south, you've got Phuket, Krabi, Samui. Those are probably the three main areas. I, I, you know, unless you've got uh, more than 10 days, I don't think you can cover uh, more than those three areas uh, in your first trip. 
And so what about, okay, so we've done that. Now we've gone to, you know, we've, I've come there for my first trip. I've gone to Bangkok. I've gone to Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai, gone down to Phuket maybe. Now I'm coming back. I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper. Where where should I go? Where are some of those kind of insider spots? Well, if you're going north, you know, obviously if you've already been to Ching Rai to Ching San, which is where the, the Golden Triangle is, then you really want to go maybe up to Pai or Mei Hong Song, one of the long neck women that have come from Burma. Are. There's so many other interesting things off the beaten path in the north that are worth seeing. And then when you go south, to me, I would immediately, you know, get into the more remote areas like Krabi or head out to the islands, islands like Koh Lanta, PP, Koh Lipe. These are the, the most incredible things. They've filmed a lot of movies on these things. The beach, uh, PP, they've, Maya beaches uh, where they where filmed that. And then you've got Koh Lipe, which has also been the home of several films. You're, you're now going to get an island experience, and, uh, one that you won't have time to do unless you, you've got time to get onto a boat and go you know, offshore. Now, you guys actually just opened a new resort, brand new, um, That's right. on one of those islands. It's, it's kind of, it's off Phuket. I don't think yep. I... Part of Krabi province, and it's absolutely beautiful, about 150 rooms. It's right on the beach with about a kilometer of uh, unspoiled beach. It's right smack in the, you know, one of the more adventuresome areas where you can do everything from sea hornbills to walk the mountains, and there's monkeys, and you know, you name it, the wildlife is there. You've got incredible rock climbing, fishing. The bird's nest soup all comes from there where they, where they collect the bird's nests from the, from the little islands around there. I mean, this is right near Phuket, but it sounds like a completely different experience. It's an hour by boat from either uh, Phuket or Krabi, and, and then you're, you're really off the beaten path. And again, you know, you get onto an island and you're not going to find, you know, your uh, favorite fast food outlets or anything. You're going to be really living a local life and fresh fish and crab and seafood and, and what have you. And that's coming from a guy who has introduced a lot of fast food chains to to Thailand. So I, you know, that's that's good advice there. So successfully having introduced that, now I go to places where I get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the name of the island again? That the new resort. Koh Yao Yai. It's in Krabi. Koh Yai. You can get there from either Phuket Airport or Krabi Airport. Okay. And is are there any other hotels on the island? Is it pretty? There's I mean, a few guest houses, I would say, but nothing like uh, what we have there. It's a very special hotel. It took years because of COVID in between to uh, get it up and open this year, but it's quite phenomenal. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with Minor Hotel Group's Bill Hyman. So let's jump back to Europe because Anantara, you know, I think a lot of people associate Anantara with Thailand, Southeast Asia, but you guys have been opening up quite a bit in Europe lately. Can you just tell us about where, I know some in Italy there, sounded, they look amazing. Where and, and what's the hopes for Europe? We ventured into Europe several years ago with the acquisition of the Tivoli chain, and then we acquired the NH chain. And so we got a lot of experience and operations now in Europe. And that has resulted in the fact that we've now pushed on to, to spread the Anantara brand. And we've opened recently in the Amalfi Coast, Rome, Nice, Budapest, Amsterdam, Marbella, Dublin. I want to say we've got probably eight Anantaras in Europe in in super prime locations. But we also have an awful lot of Avani's and NH hotels and, and others in, you know, in places, places like Italy. We have, I think we have 58 hotels in Italy. So we're, we cover Rome and Milan and all of the great places, Florence, with one of our hotel brands. For me, after uh, enjoying my Italian sports cars on the road, now I've got a hotel that I can actually drive to in most places in Italy. That's what, I, as, you, as you're describing these, all these new Anatara 
locations. I'm envisioning a map with your, you know, your little dotted line that's going to, you know, to the absolutely for, with your Ferrari. That sounds pretty good. Well, you know, if you need a if you need a co-pilot for that next trip, do let me know. What about North America? Anything in Anantara's future in North America? Well, we're looking. You know, I think a bit like we did in Europe, we've got to find the the right locations for an Anantara, especially in North America. But we do have a couple of Anantaras opening in South America. We've had a presence in South America now, both with Tivoli and, and now with NH. But we also have a presence in North America. I don't know if you realize it, but we have a, a, a beautiful hotel in New York City called the uh, Madison Towers, which is an NH collection hotel. We just had it redone and, and it opened, unfortunately, during COVID, but it's uh, quite a spectacular hotel on Madison Avenue in Midtown. So I expect that's going to be the foundation for what we do in North America. You know, I think the areas for me, I love Miami. You know, I think obviously the West Coast, Los Angeles, that whole Monterey uh, Peninsula, you know, there's some great, great locations down there. And of course, there's some nice driving down in Monterey in that area too. So I'm on the lookout, trust me. So where Bill likes to drive, we should be keeping an eye out for, for new NH and Anantara hotels. Back to Southeast Asia. So, you know, obviously you have properties beyond just Thailand. What are some of your other favorite spots in that part of the world? And how are they each different? You know, we really started discovering my way of traveling, which is experience travel, experiential travel, years ago, you know, long before it was a, a favorite word, which is being used a lot today. But, you know, we have places like uh, Siem Reap, you know, in Cambodia, where the, you know, near Angkor Wat, uh, which is absolutely incredible. If you haven't done Angkor Wat, you must do Angkor Wat. Then you have Hoi An, which is an incredible city in Vietnam, which was made up of the influences of the Portuguese, the Chinese, the Japanese. And you could find that all in one little walking town. It's also incredible. Then you've got Luang Prabang, which is the old capital. And you've got a link from Luang Prabang by our own overnight boats there. You can go from the old capital of Luang Prabang in Laos to Ching Rai, right to Ching San, where the Anantara Golden Triangle is. To me, these are the off the beaten track. They're not you know, serviced by uh, every airline in the world daily. Uh, you've you've got to go to a little bit more effort to get there. You're not going to uh, get there from anywhere in Europe or the United States directly. Which, which often makes for more special experiences because they are hard to get to. Absolutely. And, you know, really Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, as things return to normal, we hope in the next coming months in, in Myanmar. Burma is another fascinating, incredible place. It's very hardly visited. And because of the political and problems that they've had, it, it really hasn't opened up for, for a number of years. But I expect that it will. And that's going to be, again, see a lot of adventure travel. Did you go to these places when, I mean, you said you moved to Thailand when you were 14? Were you going to some of these places back then? And what, like, d tell us what, you know, did you go to Siem Reap when you were 16 years old? And what was that no, like back I, then? I must say that, no, like most people, I was uh, attending school and, you know, my vacations were spent uh, closer to uh, go-karts and cars and motorcycles and things of that <laughs> nature. But as soon as I was old enough to travel, yes, I started venturing out. And those were, those were adventures to me. And they were especially adventures 50 years ago. <laughs> because uh, it wasn't easy to get to. And, and many places were actually closed at that time. At that point, Cambodia wasn't open. It, it still had a war going on with the Khmer Rouge. Laos wasn't really very safe. Vietnam was only opened up really in the late 90s, especially North Vietnam. So, so these are relatively new places uh, that haven't been explored that much. And I certainly wasn't exploring them when I was a teenager. But today they're you know, on everybody's itinerary. 
And is there a place in that region, whether it's in Thailand or, or outside, that you did get to go to when you were not, you know, not as a teenager, but in any time in your 20s or, or whenever, where you're very glad that you got that, that you had that experience now, that you look back and think, I'm so glad that I saw that place when I did. You know, I, I really knew Malaysia because I did a lot of driving in those days even, and I set a record actually between Singapore and Bangkok nonstop, which was just under 30 hours back in those days with a, uh, a Ford Cortina. So I drove a lot in the southern part of Thailand and all through Malaysia, all the way down to Singapore. And there were some great places. You know, you got the Cameron Highlands, you've got Penang, you've got Langkawi, and these were all places that were off the beaten track uh, in those days. Uh, and those are the ones that I tend to visit, but they're still worth visiting today. You know, Malaysia is an incredible country. Uh, got some incredible parks and other things in it. And a lot of it is best reached by car. So it's a driving, it's a place to drive. There's lots of things to see. You know, the West Coast is what most of us see, but the East Coast is also very interesting. That's the opposite coastline. You talked about driving in record-breaking time from Singapore to, to Bangkok in 30 hours when you weren't stopping along the way too much. Clearly, you have done a lot of driving yourself. You're an expert on driving in this region. How easy is it for a traveler, an American, a European to, to rent a car and explore like that through through these parts of Southeast Asia? Very easy. I, I would say, you know, all your major car rental companies are here and, you know, operating. And I would say that, you know, the quality of the roads, the, the road markings generally are, are good. Assistance is available, you know, virtually everywhere, you know, in the country. And I wouldn't hesitate to drive. I'm, I, I've only recently taken on a driving trip and about to do a second one to Japan. I've lived all my life in Asia, but yet I'd never driven in Japan. But now I've, I've driven uh, twice in Japan and I'm about to make it a third time because it was just such an incredible experience. So yeah, it's, it's great to get off those jet airplanes and uh, get down to the road level and enjoy really seeing the people in the country and the restaurants and the, the countryside. So wait, Japan, is everything else right side of the road and Japan switches to left? Is that? Yes, that's right. Okay. So you got you to switch sides once you get to Japan, but okay. The one place that probably isn't so fun to drive in is your your hometown of of Bangkok, slightly notorious for its for its traffic. What about like what are some of your tips for Bangkok for someone? Who, I mean, it's such a there's so much to do. It's such a big city. Like, how do you kind of boil it down and 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 find a couple of great things that people well, are love? You know, we all know the the things that are on the uh, the, the beaten paths. Uh, you know, Raj Damri and the shopping centers and the and the major hotels and restaurants that are all around the city. But I would get off into Chinatown, which has got some incredible bars and restaurants. I would, you know, get onto a river boat. You can take an overnight boat from Anantara down to Ayutthaya for a two-night cruise, or you can get on a river boat just for a, a fast long-tail boat, as they call it, for a, a quick trip to the Temple of the Dawn or the the Emerald Buddha or the, or the palace and, and see some incredible things. I, I guess what you want to do is just get away from the crowds and get away from the main roads in Bangkok. And there's certainly enough places to uh, to go. And a good concierge at any of the hotels will uh, will help plan a trip for you. Yeah, I, there was a, you mentioned Chinatown and the bar, bars there. My my oldest daughter and I went to that one little area. It's kind of off the main part of the China of Chinatown. And there's like five great bars. And one of them was Teens of Thailand. It's called. And there's a couple other ones in there. It was such a uh, it was such a cool little spot. Yeah, definitely. You can you can have a pretty good crawl, you might say, around the, the Chinatown area, even during the day or at night. So it's definitely worthwhile. But, you know, don't underestimate the, 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 the river 
either because uh, in the old days, you know, Thailand was known or Bangkok was known as the Venice of the East. And having just come from Venice, where we'd opened a couple of, uh, we've just opened a couple of new hotels, I uh, I was fascinated to see the similarities of how people still move around Venice, but that's the way people used to move around Bangkok. When I first came to Thailand, uh, you know, you used a boat as much as you used a taxi to go places. Okay, we talked about a little bit about food, Pad Thai, Bangkok, one of the most famous food cities in the world. What are some of your insider spots that, that we need to try next time we're in Bangkok? Well, you know, I think uh, the Michelin Guide discovered Thailand just a couple of years ago, and, and now you've got a whole range of incredible uh, restaurants. You can also get off to uh, some of the street stalls and the street food that we have in Bangkok, which is absolutely extraordinary. I think we have one of the only Michelin-rated uh, street foods uh, with, a, with a crab omelet that you'll die for. Yeah, in Chinatown. I, I walked by that stand. The, the line was too long. I think it's yeah. it's often quite long, that line. But yeah, there's a Michelin-starred food stall in Chinatown. That's pretty... I don't, I've never heard of another one anywhere on Earth. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to hear about how Bill likes to travel and how that shapes the experience at Anantara Resorts worldwide. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. You talked about experiential travel, like what are some of the experiences that Anatar offers that really stand out to you like that? Like things that just are, are different. You know, we have seven hotels in the Maldives and that's, that's an experience that we've had for many years. And it's one of my favorite places that I love to go to, but you can swim with the mantas, uh, swim with the sharks. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And the, the colors of blue that you'll find there are more than I've ever imagined in my life. The sea is beautiful. The sand is beautiful. There's great boating experiences, great fishing experiences. The dolphins, I've never seen so many dolphins in my life. So, yeah, that's that's also one of my favorite haunts. And then you can go further afield to the Seychelles and Mauritius, and then don't forget Africa. Can you talk to us a little bit about your Africa properties? Yeah, we have, you know, an incredible Anantara located at the Victoria Falls, where you can have breakfast in the morning and have the giraffes and the zebras, you know, joining you, you know, and then you can go and venture over to the one of the highest waterfalls in the world, you know, uh, the Victoria Falls. Or we've also got tented camps uh, all through uh, Tanzania, Kenya, you know, you can go to Zanzibar. These are all the, the places that I think are so exotic. And again, we started collecting these kinds of of experiences and locations and hotels years ago because they were places that, to me, uh, turned me on when I wanted to go somewhere exotic or interesting. It's, I, Victoria Falls is one of those places. You know, sometimes the, the kind of the really famous big-ticket sites, tourist attractions, 
are kind of a letdown just because you've heard so much about them. There's so many people there, but that's one place I got to say. Yeah, like, you got to see I, it because, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's world known, but, you know, there's hardly anybody there. You know, it's not like you've got to be swamped by, uh, by tourists. It's uh, every time I've been there, you know, there's, there's only a handful of people around. So because it's so hard to get to these places, you know, you can't sort of fly into Zambia. The most interesting places you want to go to are the places that you can't get to very easily. And you're going to find them in, you know, in the Maldives and in uh, Africa and in Seychelles and Mauritius and Mozambique. You know, we have some incredible places there. I like that. What, tell us a little bit about Mozambique, actually, because that, that is a destination. I don't think a lot of people, it's not on a lot of people's radar, at least from the U.S. I think more so from Europe. But like, I mean, it is a fascinating culturally from what I, I have not been. Kind of an up-and-coming potential safari destination. I think there's some new game parks that are opening up there, but then also as a beach destination. Yeah, exactly. So it, we've been there for a number of years. We have an island, uh, an Anantaro in Basaruto. We have one in Avani, I think, in Pemba. So, you know, we've, we're on a number of small locations in Mozambique. It used to be a Portuguese colony, so, of course, Portuguese is well-spoken. It is, as you said, it, it's got everything from uh, the diving is incredible. Uh, you've got, we've got a... A national park there with mantas. The fishing is incredible. Uh, you know, these are waters that aren't uh, heavily fished, so you don't find the, the Chinese fishing boats, you know, raiding the place as we've seen in most parts of Asia. And what about, you're a diver, right? Did I, do I remember that correctly? Yes, I have. Very much. Okay, so with all that, you're talking about Maldives, you're talking about Seychelles, you know, so many places in Thailand, Mozambique. Where's your favorite place to dive? Oh, you know, if I told you where my favorite place to dive, it's probably Papua New Guinea, and you're never going to get there. And the accommodation is not <laughs> something you'd write home about. But it was incredible diving. But I think for for the kind of diving I like to do, which is uh, as I get a little bit older, it's uh, it's with uh, tremendous luxury. It's it's got to be the Maldives. And the the highlights that the mantas you told us about, they're whale sharks. You get those. Well, you also too? get whale sharks there because there's lots of plankton in the water, and that's why you get the uh, the mantas. But you also can get all other kinds of sharks too, from white tip, black tip to uh, to tiger sharks uh, if you're if you're very daring, and hammerheads and what have you. So I like big animals. A lot of people are very much into the micro animals and, and you know what have you. Uh, but I I like to see big things in the water. I like big animals, except when it comes to tiger sharks. I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think I want to be in the water with them. Well, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Hear, hearing about living in Thailand and traveling all over the place, and of course your car collection too. So thank you so much for joining us. Good, but we'll look forward to seeing you again. And now for the Wall and Wrap-Up. So I had the pleasure of meeting Bill in person on my trip to Thailand recently. I met him in Bangkok, and he's really humble, down-to-earth guy, super cool guy, and and just the life that he's built for himself in that city, which is such an amazing, crazy, unique place. I've really never been anywhere quite like it. It was it was such a, you know, for me, in my first time in Thailand, there were things that I think, you know, I absolutely loved about it, and then there were other things that I think I would do differently next time around. Like, uh, Bangkok was incredible. The food, incredible. That said, I probably would do a little more research in advance next time around because I had some misses in Bangkok. And I feel like if you're only there for a week, you don't have any time for misses. You want every meal to be a knockout, right? And and I had a couple that, that admittedly weren't. Now, my favorite spot in Thailand, no question about it, the Golden Triangle area up north where he we talked about it briefly, but the, the Anantara Golden Triangle Resort, it's up like 
on the border. You've got the Mekong River right there. You've got Myanmar on one side. You've got Laos on the other side. You could seriously like throw a stone at either country, and you're on this like the very triangle tip of northern Thailand. It is gorgeous countryside, and I guess the like the best part about it is all the activities that they have at this resort. It's like it's kind of like an adventure lodge. They have an elephant preserve on site that they share with the the Four Seasons Hotel right next door. Incredible experience, that one. Also, the market trip, the cooking class we talked about, that really was, I mean, again, we were the only tourist in that marketplace, seeing things that, you know, we may never unsee, uh, pig's heads and, and all that. But, I mean, just learning about the food and realizing how kind of, you know, ingrained in this culture it is and how kind of complex it is and how, how different this food is and how they prepare it and the ingredients that they use. Fascinating. Also, we did a sidecar tour. You get in an old vintage motorcycle and cruise around the countryside of the Golden Triangle in a sidecar feeling very, I don't know, Audrey Hepburn? I don't know, who would, I don't know who would do that, but some old actor or actress would do something like that. From the Golden Triangle area, we went down to Phuket. And, and I got to say, that's the one thing I would probably do differently. Amazing place. You know, there's so many great islands all around there, great resorts. However, look, Phuket's similar to a lot of other beach destinations in the world in terms of, of the types of hotels and food and everything that you get. The other thing is that you really need to fly everywhere. So, you know, you fly into Bangkok and then you got to fly up to the Golden Triangle and then you got to fly back from the Golden Triangle back to Bangkok and then down to Phuket. And trying to cram all that into a nine-day experience, I feel like that's the thing I would do differently. I would go, there's a, there's a beach town actually that you can drive to from Bangkok called Hua Win. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's H-U-A-H-I-N. There's some great hotels down there, great beaches, and you can get there in like three hours from Bangkok. So next time, Hua Huin instead of Phuket probably, or maybe some other island that's just a little more remote and far off. Like if I'm going to make that effort, I want it to be just a completely different experience. That's it. Overall, Thailand is an absolute unique travel experience. I can't believe it took me that long to get there. But I will definitely be back, and you need to go there, too. I'd like to thank Bill Heineke for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on the hotels and destinations that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. Travel That Matters is produced and edited for Kurtco Media by A.J. Mosley. Marketing by Katrin Skipertis. Music by Joey Salvia and hosted by me, Bruce Wallen, and we will all see you down the road.